We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 again this week as we continue our study of Ecclesiastes. As a reminder, it's right after the book of Proverbs in your Bible. If you are looking for it on your phone, two C's, E-C-C, L, and so on. So Ecclesiastes, there it is right up there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read those verses as we begin. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Well, uh, we are, as you know, right in the middle of an election season, and in the middle of an election season, we often emphasize those things that divide us as a country, the issues on which we disagree, whether it is uh, fiscal policy or social policy or foreign policy or how we deal with immigration. All we read in the papers is how the candidates are distinct, how you may agree or disagree with one candidate's view or another. Uh, But as we look at those things that divide us, it occurred to me this week, there is probably one statement that I could make this morning from a political point of view that all of us would agree with. And it is this, that everyone in the country ought to be educated, right? Uh, Everybody pretty much agrees with that. If you look at the views of the candidates on both sides of the aisle, now they all will agree with that basic principle that everybody ought to be educated, everybody deserves some kind of education. They disagree, of course, on how much education, what ought to be involved in that education, who should pay for that education. There are a lot of factors about education they disagree on, but let me just show you a few quotes from politicians, both candidates as well as our current president, on the subject of education. So here's our current president, President Obama says, if we want America to lead in the 21st century, nothing is more important than giving everyone the best education possible from the day they start preschool to the day they start their career. Now go all the way to the other side of the aisle. Donald Trump says this, I'm a tremendous believer in education. We're going to have education an absolute priority. Hillary Clinton says this, we have to do things differently, but it should all be driven by the same commitment to try to make sure that we educate every child. Jeb Bush, back on the Republican side, if education is to be the great equalizer with which everybody talks about, that means that every child must have access to a great school and to great teachers. So across the board, we are a nation that believes strongly in the concept of education. Uh, It's one of the baseline beliefs of our culture. Parents, think about your kids. Would you say that you want them to be educated? How many of you parents would say, I want my kids to be illiterate. I don't even want them to read. 
right? Uh, I don't want them to know basic math. Anyway, how many adults really use math anyway, right? None of you would say that. You have a baseline belief that your kids should be educated. As a culture, we have a deeply rooted belief that knowing more will improve the quality of our lives, and we spend a lot of money on that belief. If you look at the average student debt load in 2015 for graduating college seniors, it's around $35,000 that a college senior is carrying into the workforce, many of whom will not make that much in their first year out of college, but they will say almost invariably that all of the debt is worth it because of the belief that knowing more, or at least having a paper that says I know more, will improve their lives. It is a baseline, deeply rooted belief in our culture. Coming back to parents for a moment. Would you be more upset if your child came home with an F in a class or if they came home with a disciplinary problem? Many of us, if we're honest, we'd say the F would bother me more. Uh, We tend to be a culture that believes education on some level can save us from certain problems, right? It can save us from crime, maybe save us from poverty, maybe even on some level save us from imminent death. We all worry about death and we say, if we can just know enough, study enough, learn enough, do enough with our knowledge, we can even postpone death itself. And so knowledge and wisdom become to us a sort of savior, And so we deeply value it in our nation and in our world. Now, the good news for us this morning is there is some biblical warrant for valuing education. Uh, The Bible itself values wisdom that springs out of knowledge. So wisdom is skillful living. It's the ability to take the stuff you know and apply it in a proper way in your life. So knowledge would say, I know that three-fourths is the same as 75%. I can do basic percentages. Wisdom would say, I should not take a mortgage that has a payment that equals 75% of my monthly income, right? So I've taken that understanding of math and applied it to something in my life. That is wisdom. And the the scripture speaks very highly of wisdom. Look at uh, the book of Proverbs uh, 8, 10 through 11. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Now remember, this is written by Solomon, who also wrote the majority of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon himself, if you'll remember, was a man who chose literally to take wisdom instead of money. When God came to him and said, I will give you anything that you want, Solomon said, I want wisdom. I want to understand the world that God has made, be able to make wise decisions as king. And in fact, God commended that decision. Now, we're going to see a tension in the book of Ecclesiastes between what Solomon says here and what he says about wisdom in Ecclesiastes. There's no doubt that the Bible values it. And again, Solomon was extremely wise. Look at the book of 1 Kings. Now, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed to the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, He-Man, right, wiser than He-Man, that's something, Calcol, 
and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon is an author. He is a botanist. He is a biologist. He is an ichthyologist. And to top it off, he has a band, right? He writes songs. Solomon is the guy that you say, I want to know what he knows. I want to be like that guy. He is the wisest person who has ever lived up to this point, and he values wisdom. And yet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to hear him wrestle with whether wisdom actually has any value at all. And so there's this tension in wisdom literature between what Proverbs says and what Ecclesiastes says. Not a contradiction, in fact, but attention. And here's what we're going to see as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, that like anything else in our life, if we place too much weight on the value of wisdom to be our Savior, it will let us down. If we place too much weight on knowledge and understanding and we make it our God instead of a tool God has made, it will lead us astray and deeply disappoint. Remember, as we started the book of Ecclesiastes last week, we said nothing on earth can satisfy our need for lasting significance. In other words, apart from God's uh, work in our lives, apart from being connected to God, our work and pleasure and money and prestige and even our families and our lives have no meaning apart from their connection to the one who has made life and restores life in Jesus. Nothing on earth can satisfy that need for lasting significance. And if you remember, uh, the illustration I gave was when I accidentally fell through the ceiling in our old house and I stepped on that plaster and realized this plaster was not designed to bear the weight of a human being. Similarly, nothing in our lives is designed to bear the weight of your hopes for eternal meaning and significance apart from God. That includes wisdom. That includes knowledge. It includes your education. Now, some of you are feeling nervous, maybe because you are in year two or three of a PhD program, and you're thinking, if Matt says today that all knowledge is meaningless vanity, I will leave here crying ugly tears, right? Uh, Rest assured, I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is that apart from our connection to God, And his wisdom, everything we would do, is meaningless vanity. So that wisdom has value, but its value is limited. Wisdom has value, but we'll see in Ecclesiastes, its value has certain boundaries. And if we try to push the the value of knowledge and wisdom beyond its proper limits, it will disappoint us. Uh, This is a particularly uh, challenging topic for me, Because I have always been a person who values learning. I love to learn. I love to read. I love gaining wisdom and acquiring information. Not even always so that I can do anything with it, but just because I love to do it. Uh, It is something that I enjoy. And the great thing about wisdom is it's equal opportunity. Anybody willing to try and to study and to learn and to humble themselves to submit to what they 
uh, to those who can teach them, can learn, can develop wisdom. Uh, my wife has told me in the past that one of the things that first attracted her to me was that she perceived me to be a person of wisdom, right? Uh, and wisdom is equal opportunity. I'm not tall. I'm not athletic. I'm not particularly good looking, but doggone it, I'm wise, right? And so I want to keep a hold of that. So I'm not going to sit here this morning and say wisdom has no value because the scripture is clear that it does have value within limits. Just like everything in our life, it's a great tool, but a terrible God. And if we believe that education and knowledge can be our savior, we are devastatingly mistaken. That's what we're going to see in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and as we go through it, ask yourself this question. Uh, do I have that root belief about my kids? Do I believe that the most important thing in their life is to be educated? Or the most important thing in their life is to know and trust Jesus? Or about ourselves? If I could just get the right degree, get into the right medical school, PhD program, whatever it may be, my life will be as I hope It will be. Is it our Savior and our God, or is it a tool God has given us? So wisdom has value, but its value is limited. We are going to look first at the value of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, What is the value of wisdom and knowledge? Because it does have some. Uh, First of all, as you read through the Scripture, wisdom prolongs life. Uh, For wisdom, Ecclesiastes 7 tells us, wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Even here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon recognizes that wisdom has the ability to prolong life. In general, people who are wise live longer than people who are foolish. Uh, We all understand that if I do not ingest certain substances, I will live longer than those who do. If I exercise and I eat well, I will probably live longer than those who do not. It's a general principle. It's not true in every case, but generally wiser living leads to longer life. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, Solomon will in fact uh, point out that a person who refrains from adultery will live longer because he doesn't have to worry about being killed by a vengeful husband, right? Uh, Wisdom keeps you alive. I ran across an article uh, this past week about a new fad, relatively new fad, in the last several years in Russia. Uh, Teenagers, they call themselves roofers. And uh, some of you may have read about this, some of you may have not, but here's where they get the term. They climb up on tall buildings and structures with no net, no safety harness, no safety equipment at all, and they walk around on ledges and they hang from high places. And so in the article that I read, they actually had a picture of one of these Russian teenagers uh, standing on this large, uh, apparently aluminum structure uh, that looks like a cross with no harness, no safety equipment. His name is Ivan. Uh, This picture makes my palms sweat just to look at it. And every time I see it, I think, how is he going to get down? There was an interview uh, with him in the article, and he said this, Why do we get on roofs, wonders Ivan? Uh, We want adrenaline. We're like junkies. We can't live without it. You want to test your possibilities and take everything from life. You try it once, and it is very hard to stop. Ivan muses for a moment. I will stop one day when I have a wife and kids. I can't do it all my life. And I read that and I thought, you may do it all your life. 
because your life is likely to be unusually short when you engage in something so excessively stupid, right? Uh, Because we all understand that generally foolishness leads to a shortened life. Wisdom has the ability to prolong our lives. And, And Solomon affirms that in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. When I was in college, I worked for a summer at an engineering firm where they were testing the durability of certain plastic tubes, and they would uh, vary the pressure and temperature and chemical content of the water that went through these tubes, and you learned that a little bit of knowledge of fluid dynamics could keep you alive. If you turned the pressure too high, the temperature too high, and you stood in the wrong place, you could be showered with a bucket of boiling water at the wrong moment. Knowledge and wisdom can prolong life. Now, again, it's a general principle. But one of the reasons wisdom has value is those who are wise tend to live a bit longer. Uh, Solomon will also say that wisdom has value because it cultivates success. Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Uh, This is the ancient version of a modern proverb, which is work smarter, not harder, right? We understand that if you've got an ax and it's dull and you're trying to chop down a tree, what's going to happen? You're going to have to hit that tree a lot more times with a lot more force than if you have a sharp ax. So taking a little bit of time to sharpen the tool allows you to use it more effectively, Same is true of your mind. Sharpening it, uh, developing that tool, paves the way for a more successful life in general. Again, general principle, not true in every case. But what's interesting is the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, they look favorably on the wisdom that leads to success. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Solomon will also put it this way, and I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. He doesn't see where he's supposed to go, yet I know that one fate befalls them both. We'll talk about that issue in a few moments, but generally wisdom can cultivate success. Some of you in this room, uh, you have been successful because you have learned and studied how to build and grow a business, or you have uh, cultivated a skill that brings you money. You went to school for many, many years to learn what would provide for you a successful life. And I think this is one of the reasons in our nation that we have such a high value on wisdom, because we do understand that wealthier countries are typically more educated countries. The more we know in general the more successful we will be. All of us have heard the old adage, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? He learns a skill that can feed him for a lifetime. If you take it one further and you say, you teach him to fish, and then you teach him about economics and relative scarcity and how scarce a bluefin tuna is versus a bass, and then you teach him a little bit about efficient methodology for fishing and where he ought to fish and about geography, he could build a business of fishing that would feed him and his family and other people and their families for a lifetime. We understand that in general, wisdom cultivates success. And and the scripture does not look negatively on that. And the reason is this. God actually has arranged the world that way. Living in harmony with the principles of God, which are principles of wisdom, paves the way for a generally easier 
and more successful life. Again, it's a limited principle, and we'll see that in a few moments. Wisdom cultivates success, and then wisdom can connect us to God. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. In other words, God is the one who gives wisdom. And as we listen to wisdom, we learn more about God. Proverbs chapter 2 that Benjamin read a while ago. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. God gives wisdom so we can know him. When I understand more about God's word, I know more about God and how to follow him and how to trust him and how to obey him. When I understand more about his world, in fact, I learn more about God because all wisdom belongs to him. So when I understand more about biology or botany or all of these subjects that Solomon learned about, I actually can look at the world and go, what amazing complexity and creativity that God brought to the world and I have fuel with which to praise him and know him better. Francis Collins, the uh, well-known geneticist and physicist, said, I believe God did intend in giving us intelligence to give us the opportunity to investigate and appreciate the wonders of his creation. He is not threatened by our scientific adventures. He's not threatened by the knowledge we have. In fact, the knowledge we have can connect us to him. So wisdom has value. Wisdom has value. In fact, great value. It's more valuable than riches, Solomon will tell us. But that value is still limited. It does not have the ability to take the place of God. It's limited for a few reasons. One, because uh, we simply cannot know everything. Solomon will say in Ecclesiastes 7, I tested all this, that is all of my ideas about life. I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? There are things that you and I cannot know. In fact, all of our knowledge in this room, if we pooled it all together on every subject, would only constitute a small sliver of a fraction of all the knowledge that there is about the universe, about God, about his word. You can't know everything. No matter how much you study, you can't know everything. Uh, Because I went to seminary and studied the Bible and theology and preaching for four years, if you walk in my office, there are hundreds of books on those subjects. It's particularly impressive to children, right, who walk in and they see the floor-to-ceiling books and they go, have you read all of those? And I say, most of most of them, right? Uh, I have read a lot of them. The ones that were boring, I stopped after a few pages. Uh, Some of them I turned a fan on and kind of skimmed them just to get the idea, but most of them. And yet, uh, on any given subject from one of those books, I've read a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what there is to read about one book of the Bible, one subject in one book of the Bible. When I went to seminary, there were men and women who had devoted their lives to biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew and systematic theology who routinely answered questions with the phrase, I don't know. Think about your own area of expertise for a minute. If we were just to pull one 
out of the air. Let's say that you are a podiatrist. You're a foot doctor, and that's what you do. If you are a podiatrist, you went to medical school probably for four years to learn all about the human body, to learn all about medicine, and then you did a three-year residency to learn specifically about how to care for the human foot, and you've studied it, and you know how many bones and muscles there are. And if I made a mistake this morning in saying how many bones or muscles there are, you would catch it, and you would know it, and you say, I know more about that specialty than anything in the world, and yet, you're probably aware that there's somewhere another podiatrist who knows more than you. And there's probably another one who knows more than him. And even the guy that knows the most would say, I don't know everything, even about one part of the human body. Even the things we know most about, that we pride ourselves in knowing the most about, that we think I can bring a degree of expertise. Our knowledge is so small. Because we are finite, and God is infinite. And Solomon says, I have spent my life trying to gather wisdom, and I've only got a small piece of it. You cannot know everything. Wisdom cannot be our God because we are not God. We are deeply limited and finite. So we submit our knowledge to him. We cannot know everything. We also recognize that uh, knowledge and wisdom can, in fact, cause pain. Uh, Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Anybody ever learn anything? You say, I would rather not have known that. Because I recognize that the more I learn, the more I realize how broken and sinful and unfixable in some ways, apart from God, the world is. Uh, When my daughter was, my oldest daughter was about five, uh, we went to Blockbuster, a business that no longer exists, but uh, we went to Blockbuster one day to rent a movie, and uh, we pulled up outside this building, and Shannon walked in to get the movie, and I stayed with our daughter in the car, and I didn't realize until after we had pulled up next to the building uh, that there was a poster on the side of the building for a movie, and there was a terrible image on the poster, and uh, the title of the movie was Drag Me to Hell, right? And it said it right there in front of our car. Uh, To make matters worse, Elizabeth was starting to learn to read. And so uh, I'm looking at this thinking, please don't notice, please. And then I hear from the back seat, Daddy, and I think, oh no. She goes, what does drag me to hell mean, right? And I thought, why have we taught her to read, right? Why in the world did we teach her this skill? Because sometimes the more you know, the more you're aware that some things cannot be fixed apart from God. The world is sinful. The world is broken. I cannot fix the human heart. I cannot do away with injustice, no matter how much wisdom and knowledge I have. And that can lead me, as Solomon says, to increasing pain. Some of you have uh, decided to learn deeply about the upcoming presidential election. And the more you read, maybe the more distressed you get. Because you say, the problems facing our country and our world seem massive. And nobody knows how to fix them. And the more you learn about the candidates 
and our world and the problems, the worse you feel and the deeper you sink into despair. But you keep reading, don't you? Maybe if I learn a little more, I'll figure out how we're going to fix all this. And Solomon says that attitude is a striving after the wind. Knowledge and wisdom will never lead to the redemption of humankind or the redemption of the world or the cessation of sin. Only God can provide that because God is the one who knows everything and God is the one who has the power to resolve all the problems. So as we dive into wisdom, it leads to sometimes increasing pain. And what that ought to do is drive us to an increasing trust in God to say, I cannot fix this. This world is broken and we need you. I cannot know everything. Knowledge can lead to increasing pain. And here's really the big issue in the book of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom cannot overcome death. Wisdom cannot overcome death. Solomon says, then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. If I chase wisdom and knowledge apart from trust in God, then eventually I'm going to realize this. No matter how much I know, no matter how wise I am, like we said last week, one day they will bury me in the ground. My money will go to someone else. My job will be taken by someone else. My accomplishments will fade away. And at best, I will be a footnote in history from a civilization that no longer exists in a thousand years. And so Solomon says it's meaningless striving after the wind because everybody dies. But you'll remember, we also said Solomon doesn't know everything yet. Solomon doesn't know, in fact, something we in this room know, which is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ overturned death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ overturned that cycle of futility and meaninglessness and that cycle of saying, we're all going to die. It's all futile. Nothing can overcome death. So for those of us who know Jesus Christ, we have the eternal hope that because Jesus died for our sins and rose again, sin will be defeated and death itself will be defeated. And so as we pursue wisdom... We pursue it not as an end in itself, but as an opportunity to know the God who made the world according to his design and then through his wisdom and power provided a way where death will no longer conquer. Wisdom cannot overcome death, but God has done it in Jesus. And so as we come full circle on the topic of wisdom this morning, here's the question for us to ponder. Do I trust in wisdom and knowledge or do I trust in God? See, see the, the amassing of wisdom and knowledge 
is not evil or bad. It has its value, right? But its value is deeply limited. It was never meant to be the source of our salvation, the source of our trust, the source of our hope. For our children, do we trust in their education? Or do we trust in their connection to God through Jesus Christ? Which matters more? Solomon this morning would say, nothing matters more than knowing, trusting, and obeying God. Because in him, we'll find true wisdom and life. So a few thoughts in terms of application then. What can we do? First of all, seek God's wisdom. Seek the wisdom that comes from God and that moves us to obedience. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which uh, we read some of earlier. Ecclesiastes 12 is written uh, by an editor at the end of the book who kind of summarizes Solomon's thoughts. And he says uh, this, The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. An excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. All the grad students say amen. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God knows all the wisdom in the world and he has given us what we need to obey him, to trust him, to submit our wisdom to him. Uh, James chapter 3, and I apologize for not having this passage on the screen. I just remembered it this morning. James, talking about wisdom, says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. And then verse 17, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see what James is saying. The wisdom God gives moves us to trust and obey him. So we seek the wisdom of God that works itself out in our life through trust and obedience to him. So we seek wisdom. We keep wisdom in perspective. We recognize that wisdom is a great tool, but it is a terrible God. And so we keep it in perspective. And then lastly, we put our trust in God. Uh, There may be those who are here this morning that you are pursuing wisdom and knowledge, but you do not yet have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the message of the scripture for you this morning is that life and significance and a true understanding even of the way God made the world begins when you trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection to forgive us of our sin to transform us into his image beginning now and then eventually to raise us from the dead, to defeat death and self so we can have an eternal life that is meaningful and lasting and begins now when we trust in him. So we can connect our understanding of the world to his which is infinite. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, again, I think the question is, Do we trust in God or do we trust in our minds and in our knowledge and in our wisdom? Day after day, as we approach our studies, as we approach our children and their education, as we think about 
our lives. We place them in God's hands and submit to his wisdom and recognize the finite nature of our wisdom, the corrupted nature often of our wisdom, and our ongoing need for him so that we can then be representatives of the infinite wisdom and power and love of God displayed in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for not leaving us alone to try to figure out the world on our own, but you have given us your wisdom through Jesus, through your word, through your spirit. We pray we would listen to your wisdom and recognize that our wisdom will always have limits. And so we want to submit it to you. Thank you for your word. Teach us to obey. By the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.